0: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of the MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo. Arizona Fall League, now a weekend of the season, so we are going to dig into that, tell you about some of the early standouts. Uh, Jim had a chance to talk to one of the highest ranked prospects out in the desert, Kyle Manzardo. So we will chat with him. Um, and then of course, uh, the postseason is going on. Uh, you know, we're we're focused on the fall league while the rest of the baseball world is focused on the postseason. And we're keeping our, our eye on that too. And it's Fun to do when uh, so many rookies are playing such a big part. So, uh, we'll talk about how the rookies have thus far really stolen the show, at least at the plate. One of those rookies, Royce Lewis of the Twins. Jonathan did a very uh, enjoyable story on Royce and how the Twins ended up taking him number one overall in the 2017 draft. Talked to several people involved in the decision making there. And uh, we want to dig into that a little bit. And then we will wrap up, as always, by answering a question from the mailbag. And spoiler alert, it does not come from Mr. Mailbag, Stevie D. Mixing it up a little bit this week.
0: Gotta give give some other people a chance.
1: All right. Arizona Fall League. Jonathan was out there before the game started for the media days, talked to a bunch of players out there, and then Jim was out there for week one. Sam Dykstra is there now for week two. But in the early going, man, the story has been—you <laughs> don't usually talk about the fall league in terms of like team performance, but you can't really ignore the fact that Peoria, the Javelinas, are six and zero, really six zero and one. I guess they they tied their first game of the season. They are—they're a, a juggernaut out there. And we, and actually we knew going in, I mean, just looking at the rosters, they did have the roster with most top 100 prospects at four top 100 prospects going into the season. It hasn't really even been those guys, uh, for the most part that have been performing. They have Carson Williams, Harry Ford, Kyle Manzardo, and Chase Delauder are the four top 100 prospects on that team. delauder has been very good, uh, but it's been other guys on that team. And, uh, Jim, I know you've seen them what a couple couple times you saw them your first week out there.
2: I feel like I saw eight games and I feel like I saw them four times. So I saw Good luck, a lot of them. Yeah. Uh, I don't think they need me like the uh Peoria Yeah, uh, yeah, they're going to rename the team. Um but uh, no, I mean they pretty much every time I saw them, I think I want to say I think they scored double digit runs and it's it, it's funny, yeah, you know, their lineup it kind of reminds me of Back in 2017, when they won the league championship, they had this ridiculous lineup that Ronald Acuna Jr. was the best player in the lineup, but also had Michael Chavis, uh, Lourdes Gurriel, uh, Kyle Lewis, I think was there briefly, Josh Naylor, Austin Riley, Luis Urias. And it was just this really deep lineup. And, and like you were saying, yes, they do have those four top 100 guys, but the three guys who have done the most damage in the early going are Jacob Marcy, who's a Padres outfielder, Dominic Keegan, a raised catcher, Ryan Bliss, who I want to call a diamondback, but he got traded Mariners. Yep, yep. He was in the Seawater trade, go. right? Yep, Mariners' done. second baseman. Um, you know, Jacob Berry, who was a first-round pick, has actually played really well defensively. Like, like all their, their non-top 100 players, Graham Pauly, Tyler Locklear's got power. Nassim Nunez, you know the future game MVP, isn't the most physical player, but he can really run and play defense, and it's just – there are no easy outs in that lineup, and they have just pummeled people. Uh, I guess, I guess last night you guys were saying they only scored five runs, so which is like a, probably their lowest output of the season. But it's just an extremely deep lineup. That would be your pick to. I mean, if you were, if we were picking favorites to win the championship, even without looking at the rosters, I mean, even without looking at the standings they have the deepest, most talented roster.
0: It's kind of funny. Carson Williams is hitting 316 with a 458 on base percentage, and he's not standing out because they've just been so ridiculous as a, as a team, they have a 936 ops as a team. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, it's I mean, it,
2: Marcy, Marcy hit, you know, I know he played last night, but he hit like 630 and was leading the league and literally everything. And I think Dominic Keegan, like catchers usually share time. So, Keegan's been splitting time with Harry Ford and Paul McIntosh, but Keegan's been hitting 500 with like two homers. You know, Bliss is hitting over 500. Like I said, there's there's no easy out. And, and while it is, it usually is a hitter's league. We talk about this all the time that essentially if you're a pitcher and you stay healthy during the season and reach your in, innings limit, you aren't going to go to the fall league. But, you know, that said, I, I actually saw – a zero-zero game that was decided in the bottom of the tenth, and a zero-zero game that was decided in the bottom of the ninth. So, there there are some lineups that aren't nearly as formidable, but these guys just score runs every time they play. So, I, it's I'll be curious to see. Like I, I don't necessarily think they're going to slow down because even yeah, you know, as we talk about, you know, you aren't just playing to win; you're playing to develop. So it's not like you're using a set lineup. But even the guys on their bench, I mean, most nights they'll have one or two top 100 guys on the bench and they still have the best lineup in the league so it just just a lot of fun to watch
1: so th- there you have it Jim has guaranteed he says the six and0 Peoria Havalinas are not going to slow down guaranteeing an undefeated record in the Arizona Fall leagues which are, we are getting about? the championship rings made for them
2: you could I'm telling you it's like the 2017 Javelinas, which were very similar and extremely extremely deep
0: team. and you
1: know Another similarity: we're, we're talking about you know the sort of lesser ranked prospects who are leading the way. Do you remember? I, I don't think you mentioned their leading hitter's name from that 2017 team. Do you remember the he he led the league in hitting, Mariners? Oh,
2: I, I didn't because you know he did, he didn't want. I'm looking here now. He did not play in the big leagues. Eric Felia. That's yep. right. He had 408. Yep.
1: Yeah, it's, and Jonathan, you mentioned their 936 OPS. The second best OPS in in the fall league is 742, just like. Putting putting them in perspective with the other teams, they've scored more than twice as many runs as the rest of the league average. They've they've scored seventy one runs. The rest of the league has averaged thirty.
0: I was going to we keep pointing out when you look at the the fall league standings and they have the run differential, and they're yeah. plus thirty four, and every other team is in in a deficit. So far, it's only a weekend, but uh, you know, still.
1: Yeah, uh, that's that's been a fun team. Yeah. So Jacob Marcy mentioned. Leading the way for the Havalinas. Who is this guy?
2: Yeah, yeah, you know, it's the Padres have, you know, you know, I mentioned Graham Pauly also, Nathan Martorella. The Padres have a bunch of guys in the Fall League who aren't top 100 guys, but are very good players. And Marcy would fit in that category. He's from uh, Central Michigan. I want to say it's interesting because I think I talked to him on a Thursday night and he wanted to know how the Bears had done. I, I think. We were talking about weather. So I mentioned I was from Chicago and he's like, Oh, are you a Bears fan? He wanted to know how the Bears had done because they were playing the commanders that night. But um, he was a sixth round pick last year, kind of a well-rounded guy whose power is probably the least of his tools, but I saw him hit two home runs in one game. And you know, this year he played between high A and double A. He hit 274, he had eight forty-one ops, sixteen homers, ninety-eight walks, stole forty-six bases, fifty-five attempts. He could play all three outfield spots. He was a guy who, at the trade deadline, a lot of teams were asking for Marcy in in trades when they were talking about deals with the Padres. And he's just, uh, you know, I don't think there's, you know, it's a solid array of tools. The power is probably 45 or 50, that two home run game aside, which was, he said, the first time he'd ever hit two home run game, two homers in a game at any level. He, He had never done that before. He, um, you know, th- th- that's the Peoria team. You have your top 100 guys, but you have a bunch of guys like Jacob Marcy who aren't nearly as famous, but are just very
1: good, well-rounded players. Did, did I miss miss it, Jim? Or did, did you mention the fact that he he has 128 professional walks to 122 strikeouts? He's had more, more walks than strikeouts in both professional seasons so far.
2: Yeah, I know it was, I think, 98, 97 yep. this year because I remember looking at that. Um, but yeah, no, he's, like I said, it's it, it's not, you know, the speed's probably plus, and he has good instincts. Um, you know, if the power, you know, he had 16 homers, he only hit 16 doubles. You know, I think if he hits for a little bit more power, you might have a regular, and if not, you might have a really good fourth outfielder who can do a little bit of everything and play all over the outfield, and
1: that team's <laughs> very fun to watch. So he is the... uh Arizona Fall League hitter of the week for week number one, Jacob Marcy. And on the pitching side of things, uh, the pitcher of the week is not a surprise in that going into uh, the season, he's the highest ranked pitching prospect in the league. Maybe a bit of of a surprise. You could make an argument for some other pitchers anyway. But Ricky Tiedemann, Jonathan. Yeah, I
0: mean, he was... He was really good. I mean, let's, you know, I don't think uh, we need to soft pedal too much. Uh, you know, in that first start, he's, you know, he pitched yesterday again. Uh, he's gone five innings both times, but in, in the, in the start for him to be pitcher of the week, he uh, gave up a run on three hits, struck out seven over five. Uh, and it you know, was up to 95, 96 with the fastball. Uh, low 80 slider was uh, really good. Uh, and a, uh, helped, uh, miss, uh, miss some bats in that first start, you know, and then he backed it up with, uh, with his, his second start yesterday where he did give up a pair of runs, but he's now gone 10 innings and struck out 13 uh, over the, over the, those 10. And, uh, we were all excited to, to see him as, as you mentioned, their top rated pitching prospect out there guy I think we all pinpointed because he had missed so much time because of injuries so not only is he going to be out there but he's going to get a good amount of innings and it's kind of fun to see a guy just come right out of the gate and go five each start Uh, you know I don't know what the plan is in terms of letting him go through the whole season he did not pitch a lot of innings but I'm hoping I, I don't go out you know until October you know the week of October 23rd so I'm hoping he's still Turned along five innings at a clip and throwing as well as he's thrown so far.
2: Jonathan, when you're when you're out there and the, you know on Halloween they're taking BP in costumes. Hopefully. Will you wear a costume to the ballpark uh, as a reporter?
0: Um, I, I might. We'll have to see. Do you have, <laughs> do you have some suggestions? I've not done that before. we
2: we'll I, well, I think you should wear. I a I have been out
0: also. there for Halloween, and I, you know I think last year they didn't really do much in the way of dressing up. But uh, if they do it this year. I'll look into that. I'm I'm open to suggestions.
2: I was gonna say, you know, with with Tiedemann, you know, and we talked about Jackson Job on the last podcast. The same thing; those are the two best pitchers in the league. You know, Job's gone four innings each time. I, I did not get to see Tiedemann. I did get to see Job. I know Job. I think is going to be there the whole season because, like Tiedemann, he really didn't pitch a lot. And that would be cool if we actually got the two best pitchers to make six starts and potentially be in the playoffs. You know, because a lot of times the pitchers go home early.
1: Yeah, we we don't see too many top 100 pitching prospects in the fall league looking back uh, over the years. Last year, we had Quinn Priester and Tink Hentz. The year before, Mackenzie Gore, Asa Lacey. 2019, Forrest Whitley, Daniel Lynch, Shane Boz. Whitley won two years in a row. Oh, man. For-
2: won the strikeout title both years. Like like I've never not seen Forrest Whitley. I think I saw six of his starts in two years, and he looked great each time, and I thought he was on the cusp of big league stardom and
1: good luck good luck charm again. People need to start paying you.
2: The Astros should hire me to just follow Force Whitley around because yeah. if you remember, I saw him I coincidentally ran into him on the backfields in spring training and he looked unbelievable yeah. for two innings the two innings I saw. So I, I've never not and like you could go back to the Under Armour game in Chicago. I think he pitched well in that, even though that was before he lost like 50 pounds as high school senior. He was kind of hefty. I don't think I've ever seen Forrest Whitley not dominate when I've seen him pitch. And I've seen him pitch like eight or ten times. It's crazy.
1: Looking back over the over the years here, Garrett Cole pitched in the fall league back in 2011. Who else we have here? Andrew Heaney, Marcus Strowman pitched there, Archie Bradley, Tyler Glasnow. We've seen we've seen some guys go through there,
2: but even the guys you mentioned, like Ace Lacy made four two inning starts and then he was gone. And you mentioned somebody else who got the quick hook. Yeah. yeah, I think Mackenzie Gore got quick hook. I think Mackenzie Gore made four starts, maybe three, and then he was gone. So even when you get those guys, they don't often stay. Like like they're there for a very specific amount of innings and then they're out of there. But I know Job thinks he's going to be there for the whole time and. It would make sense for Tiedemann, who didn't throw very many innings like you mentioned also.
1: Jim, another interesting arm out there who fared well in his first outing, his first start, was Tokoa Roby. Cardinals prospect, who uh, was a, a big part of that uh, Jordan Montgomery deal.
2: Yeah, and it was interesting because I talked to him. The day he made his first appearance in the Fall League was the day that Jordan Montgomery shut out the Rays for seven innings in the wildcard series. And um, it was you know I do our Rangers list, and the Rangers loved to Koeroby. Well they they still do. But they they would always refer to him as the hidden gem. You know, he's not a guy who's gonna go out and throw 98, but he just he's got very advanced feel for a guy. You know, he came out of that same draft as Evan Carter in 2020. Uh, another guy who the Rangers liked more than industry who who might turn out to be pretty good. He was a third round pick. His strengths were evident the night I saw him pitch. Like like he he mixes four pitches and like he'll go fastball up, curveball down, Slider will break from right to left. He's got change at the breaks from left to right. And he moves them around. He throws to all four quadrants. He's got good extension in his delivery. Um, and that was on display. I, he went three scoreless. That was the, a one nothing 1-0 10-inning victory uh, for the Scottsdale Scorpions. He struck out five of the 10 batters he faced. His changeup was working really well. And I think that's going to be one of those trades that, look, the Rangers have no regrets about trading for Jordan Montgomery, who's their best healthy starter and has come up big in the playoffs so far. And, you know, the Rangers gave up, I think it was three players, but the two biggest names were Roby, and Thomas Segesi, who led the miners in hits and total bases this year, so I think that could be a trade that winds up working working out for both teams. But I, I I'll say the same thing I just said about Tiedemann and and Job. I, I hope we get Toko Robey had a, a strained shoulder, so he missed three months. I, I hope we get six starts out of Taco Roby because his first one looked really really good.
1: Jonathan, back to the plate. We talked about Jacob Marcy. I don't know about far and away, but pretty clearly the best first week. In the fall league, but uh, another guy who's been very, very good, leading the league in home runs with three over the first week plus one day, uh, three homers, ten RBIs, uh, OPS of one point three three five, batting three fifty, is Wes Clark. Yeah, he. Uh, I
0: feel I feel good about the, him because going back to spring training. When I was in Brewers Campion, we do those spring training reports, and we talked to the farm director, and we sort of asked for them for some ideas for breakout candidates. Tom Flanagan, the Brewers' longtime farm director, brought up Wes Clark, who came out of South Carolina. He was a strength over bat speed guy who had hit 23 homers his last year in college, a lot of swing and miss. Uh, the question was, you know, is it is it going to work? He had, he was a tenth round pick who signed for seventy five thousand dollars in twenty twenty one. His first full season, you know, he made it up to double A. The numbers weren't very good, but the Brewers saw something in him making some adjustments. He spent the year in double A this year and hit twenty six homers. There was still a lot of swing and miss, but he drew a ton of walks. They were actually pleased with how much his catching him has had improved. He is not a small man, so uh, like. You know, not height-wise, he's just a, a a big dude. And so I don't know that he's ever going to catch. But the fact that they got a guy in the 10th round who, who's putting up the kind of power numbers off, you know, and off to a very, very good start, I think he's probably a first baseman when all is said and done. But I do think that maybe he has a chance to be a little bit of a sort of three true outcomes kind of guy who can hit a bunch of homers, draw a bunch of walks, and strike out a lot.
1: Where has he been playing in the fall league? Have you seen him, Jim?
0: I don't feel like I did. Um,
2: I will. I will research well, let's that. See. Not not whether I saw him. I will research his position. First
1: base, three games, two games, DH. Yeah,
0: I, you know, uh, this was in the spring. They were pleased that the catching at all was an option. I think they thought he was never going to catch. He did catch a bunch during the year. That's not going to be an every, you know an every day kind of thing. But maybe he can be a first baseman who goes back there to to back up every once in a while they may have thought he's caught enough and they just want him to get some more at bats but i think it's the bat that's the power bat that's going to get him to the big leagues at all
1: all right that's a a good recap of the first week of the arizona fall league so let's take a break come back and talk to kyle manzardo uh, guardians prospect who is out in the fall league that's coming up next on the mlb pipeline podcast
2: Okay, Jim Callis, I'm pipeline here with Kyle Manzardo of the Cleveland Guardians. I wanted to say Tampa Bay Rays, but we'll, <laughs> yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll get to that in a second. But uh, Kyle, thanks for joining us. We're here in the Arizona Fall League. And the first question I want to ask you was, you know, I, I know you're from Idaho, which is not necessarily a, a big baseball hotbed. I was just curious, how much were you recruited and scouted coming out of high school? I mean, I know you were part of, like, the USA Baseball identification process. People knew who you were, but were you... Heavily recruited heavily scouted out of high school or, or, or not so much?
3: No, not not much. I mean I had some some interest from like local local colleges and stuff, junior colleges, D twos, a couple D ones. Washington State and Gonzaga were the only, I think, division one schools that really recruited me and then as far as like professional scouting, a couple of questionnaires, one of them being from the, the Guardians, <laughs> and then uh, I met with one one scout. Um, in high school, but it was that wasn't really the path path for me. I kind of knew it.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of times, too, guys who are especially corner position players rather than up-the-middle players, they tend to want to see, let them go to college, see if they hit. It's the the up-the-middle guys who kind of get signed out of high school more often than not. And so your your father, Paul, was your coach in high school, right?
3: Yes. And I was
2: going to say, it seems like a lot of guys who are really gifted hitters and, and you have that reputation... Are guys who've had a lot of reps and grew up around the game. Well, a lot of times we hear about those guys who are sons of big leaguers, but there's also sons of coaches. When did you get into baseball? How young were you when you started? You know, really um, play.
3: I don't know. I probably like started t ball or, or whatever whenever you were first allowed to. But before that, you know, I was like hitting wiffle balls in the backyard and he'd just kind of flip them up. Um, I would try to like hit it over our fence in our backyard and stuff like that. So pretty pretty much been playing uh, in some capacity as long as I remember yeah no yeah, I'm saying
2: like you've off. had so many reps too I mean I would assume yeah. like you said you've been hitting since you can really remember mm-hmm. anything else I mean how much does that help I mean in, I don't know how many reps you've gotten with your dad. you know when your dad's yeah. a coach I'm sure that anytime you want to hit right you can go hit and you're getting good instruction at a really young age
3: yeah I mean he's I mean he still throws like BP to me and stuff in the offseason like He's still like the the guy that I you know spend my off seasons with at home, but also like in a baseball capacity. You know, he throws me BP, hits me grounders.
2: And is there some truth to that theory that like you know, just getting that many reps at such a young age just makes? I don't know if hitting's ever easy, especially yeah. with
3: with the guys stuff guys are throwing
2: today. But like right. it makes it, it makes you a better hitter just because you the muscle memory is so
3: ingrained. Yeah, I mean it. Yeah, hitting that much at an early age, man, it kind of. Teaches, teaches your body, you know, the right movements and stuff, like at an early early age, um, I don't know, probably, I mean, I mean it's, it helps a ton, yeah. you know, that's all, baseball's all about, repetition. So at Washington State,
2: you had a lot of success. I believe you were the first Washington State All-American since John Ulrich, and I'll date myself a little bit. When I started my career, at Baseball America, the f- one of the first big features I did was on John Ulrud. it was his, oh, wow. his draft year where he, I, I'm sure you've heard some story, but like, he had an aneurysm and he didn't yeah. play a whole lot after he was national player of the year as a sophomore, and the Blue Jays took him in the third round and signed right. him to a record contract. But uh, have you ever met him? I mean, I know he's like a Washington State, and you kind of a similar profile, your first right. baseman, lefty hitter, hit over power. Have yeah. you ever met John Ulruh, Or
3: I mean, I've, I've had the pleasure of meeting him, like briefly, just at like Washington State, uh, Like alumni events and stuff like that. Um, Obviously, obviously a legend, somebody to to look up to. It's you can just kind of admire all of the great things that he's done, and you know the adversity he obviously overcame early in his in his life and career. Um, And just yeah, just somebody to admire who you know played played at the same college as me, kind of same position, same profile, same same neck of the woods, same area. So yeah, I mean he's somebody I, I look up to. A good deal,
2: and people forget he was a two-way guy. Like he was a sophomore, I think he went fifteen and zero.
3: Yeah, I mean, he, for the he, Cougars, he had like maybe like one of the greatest college baseball seasons ever. Yeah, <laughs> like like a one one point two OPS and went like fifteen and zero on the bump. A crazy year.
2: And the Blue Jays, even like cause I remember from doing my story web again, we're talking about developing and possibly as a two-way guy. Yeah. But it was one of those deals where, like, one of the things that people don't, not there's times with two-way guys, it's tough. If you're better at one than the other, right. and like he was big league like, ready, as a hitter right away. Like he never played in the minors; right. like he went straight to Toronto in the middle of the pennant race. Yeah. And I think even batted with the like, they wound up win the division by a game over the Orioles but in the second last game of the season. He he hit in like a you know potential game winning situation, 11th. Thing. That's how much confidence they had. Right. And then he made the team the next year. And you know, yeah, I mean, so anyway, he was that gifted. But I think had he not been that advanced as a hitter, like in instructional league that fall, he did pitch. Right. Like, Right. I remember watching him pitch to Mark Wooden. He was he was a pretty he, he wasn't an overwhelming stuff guy, but he yeah. was just like very just kind of like he was as a hitter. Like yeah. very polished. He yep. you know, very you know put the controlled the zone as a pitcher just like right. he did as a hitter. He was he was kind of uh, interesting. How would you describe your hitting philosophy? I mean, you make it look kinda of, just watching video of you, you make it look kind of simple. I mean right. you don't have a real complicated setup. It seems like you see the ball well and recognize pitches and just kinda of hit the ball where it's pitched. I know it's not as easy as I may be making it sound, but right. like, how would you describe your philosophy?
3: Well that, I mean that's that's kind of the idea is uh, you know to keep it keep it as simple as possible. I don't know It's pretty much all about like trying to put myself in, in the position to be on time to as many pitches as possible you know as often as possible not necessarily about like trying to hit the ball as hard as I possibly can, but you know hit the ball pretty hard a lot right is what I think.
2: So, I mean, coming into pro ball, you were a second-round pick out of Washington State. Big pro debut. Big first full pro season. And you got off to a real good start last year. And then you hurt your, I think it was your left shoulder?
3: Uh, this year This was my year. left shoulder. Yeah. Last year, uh, tweaked my hamstring. Oh, okay.
2: But so anyway, this year you're going pretty good. And then I think you hurt, you hurt your left shoulder and maybe tried to play through it a little bit before you went on the IL. What exactly did you do to your shoulder? And, I mean, I guess you're 100% now, but how long right. did it take to feel like you were um, back to normal
3: yeah so i i sublux sublux the shoulder i'm i'm honestly i'm not sure like how like in detail i can go with yeah. it um
2: but how, how did you get hurt where was it yeah. uh
3: it was a it was a play of first base uh i caught the ball on a pickoff under the runner and it kind of like uh, popped yeah. out just a little bit um and then like snapped right back in. So I, I MRI'd it and everything, and then just, just rehabbed it. It took, I don't know, it took, it could I mean, it took like a month and a half, two months. Did you try to play through it some for a little bit, or? No. Okay,
2: no. it was like you knew you had to
3: right, take some yeah, time Right, yeah, I kinda knew uh, right in the moment, and then rehabbed it. So I started my rehab with uh, The Rays, which was like, interesting because i would get you know traded kind of right in the middle of the, the rehab yep. process and then obviously got traded to the guardians and came here to to arizona to finish up my rehab and it was able to you know get get fully healthy and i was able to get out to to columbus and you know play on it for about a month month five weeks or so
2: i i imagine it's got to be a little strange getting traded for the first time and probably even stranger getting traded while you're on rehab. I mean, yeah. I know, you know from talking to players when you're in the minors around the trade deadline, everybody kind of has their antenna up because you're aware that something could happen. Right. Had you considered the fact you might get traded? Were you thinking about it much? And, and so, how'd you find out?
3: Yeah, I mean, I kind of knew that it was a possibility, especially how the, the race season kind of went with, with their injuries, um, with a bunch of their starters and stuff. Um, after I got hurt, it wasn't uh, as much on my mind, I would say, just because I was more worried about trying right. to get healthy. And then, yeah, after I got traded, you know, kind of a kind of a whirlwind for, you know, three hours or whatever, mm-hmm. and then settle down, you know, I think everybody handled everything perfectly from both sides as far as, like, the move itself and, you know, kind of all that that entails. Because, um,
2: I mean, underrated aspect of it is, you're talking about being in rehab, rehabbing in Florida Mm -hmm. now you got to rehab in Arizona it wasn't like hey it's another team that trains in Florida right you had to come all the way yeah no I wasn't
3: I wasn't right up the road (laughs) so so I'm like kind of trying to organize everything you know my cars in Florida my baseball stuff's in Durham still you know I got stuff kind of scattered all over and you know I'm going to a a brand new place where I don't you know exactly know anybody you know yeah so yeah it was a whirlwind, It, everything kind of settled down real quick and it was a comfortable transition as comfortable as it could be how did you um how'd you find out about the trade i had got back from rehab that day i think it was the day before the deadline and i was just like chilling at the apartment i think i might have been getting ready to take a nap or something <laughs> like it was because i was i'd go in early you know do all my stuff get done by midday uh early afternoon just go back and uh, I saw Jeff, Jeff McLaren was calling me. So I kind of knew like, as soon as the name popped up, I kind of looked at my phone. like, Oh, okay, it's happening. <laughs> like, yeah. Let's see, let's see, let's see where I'm going. So I pick it up. Uh, we kind of make small talk. He sees how I'm doing and stuff. And then, uh, obviously, you know, gives me, gives me the news. Um. So, yeah, I mean, I got off the phone and then I think I called my parents right away. My dad had like, a million questions I was like man I have I have no idea <laughs> it was like kind of a blessing because I hear from a lot of players that they find out on Twitter and stuff um I didn't have that experience was why you out. like
2: you find on different ways sometimes the news leaks out and the players right, find out right. before the no. team tells so. them
3: yeah that that wasn't the case at all for me I kind of I felt like I had to jump you know I, I like went on Twitter after I got off the phone with my parents and it still like wasn't on Twitter or anything so yeah. I was like oh man like like, what do I do now, <laughs> you know, like, do I just start packing or what? And then, uh, like, five minutes after that, uh, the Guardians kind of got, got in contact with me and, and you know, just talked logistics and stuff, welcome me, welcome me to the org, all that. Have they talked to you, I mean, you've barely played
2: for them, so the answer is probably no. Have they talked to you about things they'd like you to do or change or adjust, or is it? Yeah. are you still kind of in the process of new organization, not a ton of at bats. We'll just see how things go and then they'll come up with a game plan.
3: Yeah. Um, a little bit. I mean, my job is is kind of to to hit, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I kind of know that no matter where I go, that you know, I'm am supposed to hit. But kind of early on it was, you know, more or less just about getting healthy and right. kind of meeting meeting everybody all the new coaches, players. You know, so like you know years. everybody's
2: name now? or
3: No, no, not even close, <laughs> not even close. It'll probably take me till like halfway through spring training at least.
2: Yeah, no, it's still, how would you uh, describe your game as a player? If you were, if you were scouting yourself, how would you break down your tools?
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like I'm probably a little bit better of a fielder than I get credit for a lot of times, I'd say. And then just as a hitter, uh, pretty polished approach, I'd say, clean swing, i I try not to do too much. I'm just kind of wait for wait for a good pitch to hit and drive it. You know wherever it's pitched.
2: No, I think that's all. That's all pretty fair. So obviously you're here in the fall league. And one of the reasons you're here is you lost some at bats this year with the right. shoulder injury. Are you working on anything particular, or is it just come out here and play 15 or 20 games and get another 75 at bats or so?
3: Yeah, so I mean obviously wanting to, to catch up on those at bats a little bit, but obviously you know going to take the time to to keep getting better as a as a fielder and um, keep getting stronger, make sure that the shoulder stays healthy, and then, yeah, like you said, obviously, keep taking at-bats and getting better at the plate.
2: I know, I mean, we're just three days into the season. You guys are, I think, two zero and one still on the yeah. I always like to ask players about other players, and so I know it's only been three games, but who's impressed you You know, just on your team? I mean, you guys have a pretty um, loaded roster. rosters. Anybody stood out?
3: Right. I, well, obviously, DeLotter's been been killing it my first time you know meeting him and being around him uh like really really strong strong powerful hitter and like he's not in there you know trying to do too much he's not pulling off the ball or anything he's kind of taking whatever the pitchers give him and driving it and then yeah. uh grand paulie's been really good yep just clean polished good swing you know hits the ball hard a lot
2: Yeah, well, I really appreciate it, Kyle. uh, I'm looking forward to watching you play this fall, and glad you're healthy again, and we can can see you at your best. Thanks a lot. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Okay, that's Jim Callis uh, with Kyle Manzarda. We'll be back to the Pipeline podcast in a second.
4: Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.
1: Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff with Jim Callis, Jonathan Mayo, just heard from Kyle Manzardo. Thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us here on the podcast today, and uh, we're going to turn our attention now to the postseason, where most people, most baseball fans' attention already is, Um, and We've been watching, as always. It's it's such a great time of the year for us. Minor league season ends. We go into the fall league, which is one of our favorite events of the year, and we get to simultaneously uh keep our eyes on the fall league and the postseason. You know, we're always looking we're always watching rookies in the postseason, and this has been a great one so far. Um, and we've been following this throughout. I mean, day one of the postseason, you had uh Corbin Carroll, Royce Lewis, Evan Carter, all coming up big, and uh, Jace Young has has joined them in uh, really just being maybe the four four of the biggest names on the offensive side of of the game uh, in the postseason so far. Carroll and Young are tied for the total base lead so far with fourteen. Royce Lewis is next at 13 and then Evan Carter is uh, just a few spots back with 11 total bases you know in addition to the total bases that Carter and and Carroll have put up they're also getting on base like in every other plate appearance as well. Carol's walked five times. That's
2: not even doing Carter justice. Carter's on base percentage is 706 so it's not it's more than every right. other plate
1: appearance. No, I said every plate. I mean every other one that they're not getting hits. I mean in nearly every plate. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, on base percentages of 632 for Carol and 706 for Evan Carter. Two home runs for Carol, three for Royce Lewis. We're not even talking about Gunnar Henderson who hasn't played as many games because they didn't play in the wild card but uh, he's homered as well, has three hits and, and nine plate appearances. Um, uh, but the, the rookies, uh, have certainly, uh, been up to the task on the big stage under the bright lights.
0: It's been so much fun. I mean, in, in, you know, so people are clear when you're saying they lead, you know, among total bases, that's among all hitters, not that wasn't a rookie ranking. That was everybody, you know, and it, it, it's, it's really incredible that
1: we have, four rookies in the top six um yeah you know, and, you and can, the other guys up there are like Jordan alvarez jt real Muto, carlos correa like you know right it,
0: Jordan alvarez has done it in two games to be fair to him i mean that's like a whole different plane but yeah i mean it's the guys that you sort of expect to do it and then you have these guys who clearly just don't you know the bright lights of it all uh do not bother them in any way shape or form and i think you know with with carol and And Carter even more. I mean, Carroll's been doing it all year, so I mean, I don't know if there's more expectation, but Evan Carter, like, I don't think anyone thought he'd make it to the big leagues this year. And what he's, their ability to not get out of their approach in any way, shape, or form, given the stage they're on, is so unbelievably impressive to me.
2: Yeah, we talked about, you know, as you guys know, I've been enamored of Evan Carter for a while and was more enamored after I talked to him in spring training. And I don't have the stats for him, but in spring training, you know, first time he's really getting playing big league camp. A lot of guys would try to you know, show what they can do. And I want to say, I think he had like 17 plate appearances and drew like eight or nine walks. And he struck out five times, <laughs> three of which were on full count pitches that the Rangers said were, were balls that the umpires missed. He just does not... Get out of his approach at all, and and Jonathan, I, mean, I know we're going to touch on your Royce Lewis story in a second, and I'm working on a scouting of Evan Carter story, and I was talking to uh, Derek Tucker, who was the area scout this morning, and we'll we'll talk more about this next week, but he was saying the one question that they had about Evan Carter as an amateur was, is this like a really good approach, or could it be that he might be too passive? Because there were games where he like would strike out looking on a 78 mile an hour fastball that was off the plate and got rung up on it. And he just like, I remember talking to him in spring training, Evan Carter just does not swing if the ball's outside the strike zone. Um, and like you said, I mean, it's amazing to me. Like, you know, Corman Carroll, like you said, Jonathan has been up all season and he was up last year too. Evan Carter has been up for about a month and here we are in the playoffs and the stakes are higher than they've ever been. And Evan Carter's not going to swing at a ball. He he just is not going to do it, um, and he's got six walks and sixteen plate appearances, which is crazy.
1: Yeah, the the rest of those guys, uh, Errol Young and Lewis, all kind of you know seasoned rookies. They've they've all been up uh, for the full year. I mean, Royce Lewis <laughs> has been around forever in in mm-hmm. prospect terms. Um, but yeah, that like you said, making uh, Evan Carter's. Uh, Ascension this year and his performance even more impressive. And you know Royce, uh, Jonathan, you, you kind of especially after reading your story and after hearing the things that the Scouts had to say about him, it makes it even less surprising that he's he's performing um, on the biggest stage.
0: I don't think it's a surprise that he's performing on the biggest stage at all, uh, given you know everything. That everyone says about you know his makeup and character, and we've seen it firsthand. Jason, I've we told the story about you know having lunch and hanging out with him before the futures game in 2019 with a lot of people as the postseason is has, has gone on. I think what what continues to amaze me is just his ability to perform, like right out of the gate after being hurt. I mean, they weren't sure he was going to be on the postseason roster because of this hamstring strain. And yes, he's only DHing, but then he hit two homers in his first playoff game. I mean, it's kind of nuts, you know, and working on that story, uh, you know, hearing from uh, a guy, you know, the Twins area scout, John Levitt has been an area scout now for 30 years. Uh, and he's a generally positive, optimistic guy. You know, he's not uh, the sort of, Salty veteran scout who doesn't like anybody, but, you know, for him to repeatedly say that this is the best player I have ever scouted, and he's in Southern California, right? He's not talking about best player he's ever signed. He signed Aaron Hicks and some other players. He means scouted in Southern California. I mean, that's a lot of really, really good players. Uh, And so I very much enjoyed digging into how it all worked out, you know, and how everybody raved about being around Royce Lewis from John Levitt up to scouting director Sean Johnson. It was his first year scouting director picking number one. That's not something that happens to Thad Levine meeting with the family and walking away impressed. You know, he, he, Royce Lewis leaves that kind of impression ridiculous tools and athleticism aside, just in terms of how he's going to interact with teammates, what kind of clubhouse and dugout presence he's going to be, and then add in all the really, really, really good tools, and uh, it's been a lot of fun to to see. And I hope that he can continue, you know, this October, and then, you know, finally put together a fully healthy big league season, so we can see just how good he can be. Can he live up to uh, the very high bar that, uh, that that John Levitt, who thinks he's a Hall of Fame caliber player, you know, uh, can he live up to that that bar? It won't be for lack of effort.
1: I was going to say, there were some serious quotes in that story uh, about Lewis, and you just referenced the one about him believing he's a Hall of Famer. He said, I believe he's going to be a Hall of Famer, and I've been saying that forever. Um, and then uh, he said, he's the best player, talent-wise, that I've ever scouted in the amateur world. He's also He also has the best makeup of any player I've scouted in the amateur world, all wrapped up in the same person, which is incredible. And I know you know, Jonathan, I know you and I, uh, I don't know if it was the first time you had, well, no, it wouldn't have been the first time you'd met Royce, but we spent some time with him uh, at the Futures game in Cleveland.
0: 19, yeah.
1: Yeah, and uh, just like, you know, maybe the most genuinely nice professional baseball player I've met in in all of my time uh, in baseball. And uh, you, you just like to see uh, things like this happened to, to people like that.
0: Well, and you know, they knew that he would be able to handle the spotlight of being the number one pick, which they were like, listen, that's a thing, right? You need, you need to be ready for that. They didn't know that it would be tested because of all the injuries, you know, two torn ACLs. I think there are other players who that, that would have ended them, you know, uh, and, he just keeps coming back, and he's as good, if not better, than before. He's bigger and, and stronger, uh, so I, I do think all of that adds to it. And uh, uh, you know, in uh, this didn't make it into the story, but I did have some people tell me that he's so positive and kind of effervescent, and has always been that way. That when he first started, there were player, there were people in the player development program like who were like, "Come on, you know." you keep waiting for there to be some switch, like, oh, this is just an act. You know, he's not really like this, but it is it is 1,000% genuine. And, you know, after spending you know any time with him, you realize that, uh, and it is infectious. And uh, he has made an impact on that, uh, you know, on that roster, not just with the, the production, which has been great three homers, as you point out, but just in terms of uh, that makeup and character carrying over and lifting up everybody around him.
1: All right, Jim, uh, rumor has it that you you might be able to tie together our talk of uh, rookies in the postseason with the AFL. Is that true?
2: Yeah, yeah I, I was just going to say, you know, as much as we all love the AFL, and uh, I know I especially always am telling people to go check it out, it's because you see these guys make an impact so quickly. And I don't know – I didn't see the list. Somebody was saying that there were something like 34-something players – who were in the fall league last year, who were in the big leagues this year. And I was going to say, you could see several of them in the postseason. Edouard Julien was one of the breakout players in the AFL last year. He's starting for the Twins. Uh, Johan Rojas was the fastest player in the AFL last year. He's starting for the Phillies. We haven't seen him play a whole lot. He pinch ran last night. But Jordan Lawler was in the fall league last year until he got hurt. Um, Emmett Sheehan was one of the better pitchers in the fall league last year. He's now on the Dodgers, and their pitching staff's kind of muddled, but he pitched in game one of the NL Division Series. So I, I was just going to point out that you see so many of these guys in the fall league make an impact at the big league level the next year, and the, and the playoffs are another example of that.
1: Yeah, well, and Royce didn't go you know, straight from the fall league into postseason situation, but he is a former fall league MVP, as is Ronald Acuna Jr. in the in this year's postseason. All right, we have a mailbag question, which comes from Colby Treat at Treat underscore twelve says Sterling Thompson has had a had a good minor league season and is tearing up the AFL. Is he another Rockies candidate to be on the top one hundred next year? He is currently the uh, what Rockies number. What is it, five? Am I making that up? Six. Number Rocky's number six prospect. He's ranked behind, uh, just behind Zach Veen at, at number five, Jordan Beck number four, Chase Dullender, uh at three, Yankeel Fernandez at two, and Adele Amador is number one. I guess he'd have to jump a few of those guys to uh, end up in the top 100, but does does he have that potential, Jonathan?
0: I think he does. Uh, you know, I'm kind of taking a wait and see approach. He was probably the hottest player in the minor leagues at the start of the minor league season. He went to high A, number 31 pick overall, University of Florida, you know, college performer with a really good left-handed swing. Everyone loved his swing. Uh, you know, he had a strong year at Florida in, in 2022 uh, with an OPS over a thousand and they came out of the gate and was just incredibly hot and then he got hurt and it took him a little while to kind of get his rhythm and his timing back uh and then he did get bumped up to to double A. you know in high a uh he had a 919 ops he didn't hit as well in hartford it's the tougher place to hit for sure but I, i do think that you know a strong fall league and if he comes out i don't think i'd you know be pounding the table for him to be in the top 100 on our preseason list, I don't think, but I think assuming he goes back to Double A, and if he comes out hitting the way I think he's capable, then I think we will talk about him as a potential top 100 guy. But if not, I think he has a chance to be a very good everyday player. Uh, he's been playing a lot of uh, a lot of third. He's played some second base. Uh, he likes playing on the dirt. If not, I think corner outfield would probably be okay. But I think he's going to hit his way to being a, a good, solid, big league player if, if he doesn't end up a top 100 prospect.
2: And I'd agree with all that. Uh, like you said, Jonathan, I don't think I'd put him on the top 100 even if he has like an unbelievable AFL season. I would like to see him hit a little bit more in A. He was only there for a month. I think the biggest question with him – well, there's two. It's what position does he wind up at, which you touched on. Obviously, there's more value if he stays on the dirt. And then how much power does he wind up hitting for him? He hits for average. He's got good plate discipline. He wasn't a big homer guy at Florida. He had 11 homers in his draft year, he hit 14 this year in 94 games. And so I think when, you know, figuring out where he's going to play and how much power he's ultimately going to provide are still questions but I really do like his, his hitting ability and his approach.
1: All right. Thanks to Colby treat for that treat of a question. And thanks to Kyle Manzardo for joining us on the show today. Thanks to everybody for listening. That's going to do it for this week's episode of the MLB pipeline podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. So you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening everybody. See you next week.